Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast where three literary matchmakers set you up with your next great read using only dating app questions like, do you consider yourself a romantic? What is your dream Saturday? If tattoos only lasted one year, what would you get? What's your go-to karaoke song? This is Blind Date with a Book. Prepare to fall in love. Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast that sets you up with your book meet cute. I'm one of your hosts, Rachel Manns McKenney, and I'm an author and book reviewer from the Midwest. I'm Elena Nicolau, and I'm the culture editor of Oprah Daily. I'm Kristen Evans, a book critic and culture writer based in Cleveland, Ohio. Today, we're setting up Jamie Green, a freelance writer and editor. She wrote the New York Times book reviews romance column for two years, and her book about the ways we imagine life beyond Earth will be published in 2023 by Hanover Square Press. She recently loved reading the second season, The Method, and Night Bitch, and her dream vacation is a beach chair and a book with a fancy hotel waiting at the end of a sunny day. She prefers not to read classic novels, but she does love singing Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy at karaoke. We'll use our extremely scientific process of examining answers to dating app questions like these to help Jamie make a match with a great book. Jamie, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to have you on today. Um, First of all, you were the first person to respond to our survey to say that you already have a whole bunch of tattoos that you've chosen for life, not just one that you would commit to for a year. So what are your tattoos? Um, so let's see. Um, one of them, or, well, hmm, okay. Uh, one is the Hubble telescope. One is an illustration from A Wrinkle in Time um, when they're like holding the Someone's holding the edge of their skirt together to let an ant walk across to explain how a tesseract works. Um, One is something called the pulsar map, which is part of the illustrations on the cover of the Voyager Golden Record. And one is an illustration inspired by my favorite plot line from The Adventure Zone, which is a D&D podcast. In case anyone is listening who is familiar with that, it's um, a raven and a ram and some cherry blossoms. That is fantastic. Oh, my gosh. You can already tell so much about um, some of the the recommendations and some of the tastes that you have. Uh, Quick question for you, digging into some of your your tastes here. Star Wars, Star Trek, both or neither? Star Trek, absolutely. Okay. What's your favorite um, series at the moment? I know it can change. I mean, I... It's next generation. I grew up on that. That's what started Star Trek for me. So that's always like the the essential one. I, I'm a Trekkie as well. So I, okay. yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're in a safe place here. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, in your questionnaire, you also say that you're not really a romantic, but that you love reading romance. Obviously, you edited and wrote for the New York Times about this. So how do you balance those parts of your reading life? I mean, I don't. When I was writing my column, I basically only read romance because the column was quarterly and it took all that time to read the books to find the ones I wanted to review. And then when that ended, I started doing research for my book, which entailed reading a ton of sci-fi, which I also love and was also great. But I keep doing this thing where I make reading genres that I love into my job. (laughs) And then that's like all I have time to read. So um, up you know, it was like maybe three years, three or four years of just only reading for work, but the work was reading romance and sci-fi. 
That sounds like both absolutely incredible and horrible at the same time. I can't imagine exactly. not being able to to reach out of the genre because those are both genres I love too, but I also like them in moderation for exactly. sure. <laughs> Kristen, do you want to ask your question? Sure. I mean, one thing that I was thinking about, Jamie, is that you do so much editorial work. Um, you're the series editor of the Best American Science and Nature uh, series. You also edit for Future Tense at Slate. So I was wondering how you balance the editing parts of your job with writing lar larger projects and how those jobs support one another or don't, depending, <laughs> depending on the day, I imagine. They do. It works out because I mostly have been editing short form. So like my mm. editing for Future Tense is during business hours, like during, you know, I have, it's a part-time job. I have my shifts and I do my editing then. And um, same for Best American. That's mostly reading work that's been published during the year and seeing what's great so that I can send the best pieces to the series editor who makes the final calls for each book. I'm just now getting back into doing more developmental editing for books. And that's harder mm. because that's reading a book. Like my brain doesn't confuse editing articles with reading books, but editing books and reading books does mix together. Um, but I, I try to keep it all during actual business hours so that it is separate. What other kinds of things keep you from reading? Well, I have a two and a half year old son, so that's a big one. Um, and just the sort of exhaustion, like at the end of the day, I want, I often want to zone out. I'm scrolling on my phone, watching something very light on TV at the same time. Um, and on the weekends, other than during the baby's nap time, I'm responsible with my husband for a child. So there just isn't a lot of leisure time. And when I do have leisure time, I don't know if it's the toddler or the pandemic or all of the above. Um, but I just don't have a lot of mental energy. I, I find myself wanting to be passive rather than active and reading feels a little more active most of the time. But I know that that's also a habit that I can change. Well, we're really excited to give you recommendations today. Um, we've been talking about this all week and trying to go back and forth. We know you've read extensively. So we're excited to see if you've read any of our picks yet or uh, what's getting you excited again. Anybody have any other questions before we move on? Yeah, I have a question. As a big romance reader, do you have any favorite tropes that you look for in romance books? That's a good question. I don't think I have favorite tropes. I have some tropes that I dislike. Um, I don't really like whether it's actually like in paranormal or just the sense of it. I don't like faded mates. I don't like taking the agency away from the characters in that way. Um, I don't like best friend's little sister or that sort of common dynamic where, I mean, yeah, it's basically just... I don't like best friend's little sister. It feels um, infantilizing and yucky. And I don't like love potions for the same reason that I don't like faded mates. I like autonomy and equality as much as possible. Love that. We should have a whole uh, tropes discussion podcast sometime because we we know some great romance authors. That would be really fun. <laughs> I was just thinking about how specific these tropes are. And as someone who does not read romance regularly or is not involved in the community, I was like, a, I don't know what any of these tropes are. I mean, I can guess based on the titles. Yeah. But, but B, um, they're so specific and they're such good names, and it would it makes like for a great 
list of titles of a thing yeah. to explore. <laughs> well, and if yeah. you ask any romance author or reader, you know, they'll be able to knock some out for you. Like I talked to Jen DeLuca for 10 minutes one time about how neither of us like secret baby plots. <laughs> you know, oh just my like, God, no. how are yeah. these all plot, like, trust? <laughs> I mean, the ones I listed are also like a little nichier because they're yeah. particular ones that rub me the wrong way. I would say of what I mentioned, like, Best friend's little sister is, pro- which I might be getting the name a little wrong, but it's pretty clear what that means. Like, that's a more common one, but like all the others, you know, like enemies to lovers, <laughs> there's only one bed. I like fake dating a lot. I'll say that. Fake dating, <laughs> fake fiance. I think that's a fun one, especially with enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> I agree. And I'm not going to change my recommendations at this late hour. I truly do believe in what I chose, even though I didn't choose Even though it's a secret baby faded mate. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Jamie, over the next two rounds, we'll each introduce you to books that we love with no faded mates, promise. Okay. (laughs) We get points based on how much you like what we set you up with. And so you win no matter what with six great recommendations, but one of us will win by being this week's best matchmaker. And if we win, we get to link to our favorite indie bookstores in the notes uh, of our show. So I'm going to be playing for King's English Bookstore in Salt Lake City, Utah. Elena, who are you playing for today? I'm playing for Bliss Books in Kansas City, Missouri. And Kristen, who are you playing for today? I'm playing for Split Rock Books in Cold Spring, New York. Okay, fantastic. Jamie, are you ready for your literary meet cute? Yes. Okay, well, then we're going to let Elena go first. Elena, what's your first pick? So speaking of romance, and since you're a big romance reader, I thought you would enjoy a book that's very much concerned with the marvel of love and the sense of magic that tends to accompany relationships. The Republic of Love is a 1992 novel by Pulitzer Prize winner Carol Shields about an unmarried folklorist who studies mermaids and a three-time divorced nighttime radio host in their journey toward each other. As the title suggests, this is a book fascinated by love, capital L love, the force that sweeps into our lives and transforms them. But while I've read countless love stories, this is the first I've read in which the actual meet-cute comes halfway into the novel. Most of the time, Tom and Faye are amid their interwoven, close-knit communities of families and friends in Winnipeg, Canada, and the novel is delightfully gossipy and intimate in that sense. The novel is really delightfully written, crackling, smart, unabashedly philosophical. It's not cool, nor is it distant. The dialogue is sharply funny, with characters saying things that you'll want to underline. Most of all, this is a book that melts away cynicism and leaves you believing, once again, in possibility, which, according to the book's characters, is the definition of a romantic. Honestly, though, it's worth reading just for the declaration of love that comes over a transatlantic fax machine. In a way, the book, which was written in 1992, is kind of like time travel, which makes it all the more magical. That is The Republic of Love by Carol Shields. Okay, so Elena's first pick was The Republic of Love by Carol Shields. Okay, Kristen, go ahead with your first round pick. Alrighty, I think Elena and I had something of the same idea, but that's okay. Um, Jamie, in your questionnaire, you mentioned that you're not in the mood for anything sad or harrowing. So I chose one of my recent favorites that felt like dipping into a warm bubble bath. Lily King's Writers and Lovers follows Casey, who at 31 is waiting tables in Harvard Square. It's the summer of 1997, and despite the many challenges life has thrown at her, she's doing her best to become a writer, sentence by sentence. Normally, I'm not particularly drawn to novels about writers. They can feel cold or self-absorbed. 
but Writers and Lovers is different. Casey's voice is warm and funny, and the scenes set at that upscale restaurant in Harvard Square offer some of the best fictional people watching you could hope for mid-pandemic, and that's both in the kitchen and in the dining room. It is one of the best fictional depictions I've ever read of working at a restaurant. Casey's voice is warm and funny. As the title suggests, Casey meets two men she must choose between. Oscar, another struggling novelist who is closer to her age, and Silas, a famous writer and teacher whose students are enamored of him. Reading this book, I couldn't help but be reminded of the frank and wry tone of Laurie Moore. Like Moore, King pulls you along with just the power of Casey's voice, her ability to notice other people, and her conviction after everything that life is worth living, that your partner should support you. And even if you're a writer living in a moldy basement apartment waiting on rich wasps, you deserve to be happy. All right. Kristen's first round pick is Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Okay. For my first round pick, it's time for something completely different. (laughs) You say you aren't afraid of the weird, obviously, um, and you like surreal books with a bite of humor to them like Night Bitch. You also say in your survey that something that impresses you about other people is their confidence in their opinions. And I cannot think of a more self-assured novel than A Touch of Jen by Beth Morgan. This novel follows a couple, Alicia and Remy, who is Instagram obsessed with one of Remy's exes, a woman named Jen. And over the course of a summer, Alicia tries to become Jen and Remy tries to ingratiate Jen back into his life. Over the course of a weekend at a beach cottage, everything flips. This is a beach book, but it is one that has teeth. And I'm not giving anything away when I say that loving books that skew into the territory of surreal satirical horror is a must for picking this one up. The publisher describes it as part millennial social comedy and part psychedelic horror. And I have to say, this is an absolutely bonkers book that's unlike anything I've read in recent years, with all the fresh beating heart of a hilarious, on-the-nose, beautiful prose. A Touch of Jen is more than just a touch of brilliant. Okay, so your first round picks are The Republic of Love by Carol Shields, Writers and Lovers by Lily King, and A Touch of Jen by Beth Morgan. Jamie, what sounds good to you? I've got to say The Republic of Love sounds fantastic. It sounds to me, I I also really love A.S. Byatt. I read a lot of her in college in my early 20s, and it sounds like A.S. Byatt, but with heart, and it just sounds, I'm super into that. That's awesome. Okay, so... Your first round pick is The Republic of Love by Carol Shields. Excellent. So where that leads us after the first round is that Elena's got 20 points and Kristen and I will impress you in the next round. (laughs) All right, we're back for round two. New round, same point system, and Elena's currently ahead. Okay, Elena, do you want to try and impress with your second round pick? Yes, I sure do. I'm so excited to get to talk about this book, which I had forgotten about until it popped into my head while preparing for this. So, all right, Jamie, one of the books that you recently enjoyed is the second season, which is about a former basketball player navigating the world of sports journalism. You also said that something you love about your best friend is how easy she is to talk to. With all those ingredients, I present you with The Falconer, a 2018 novel by Dana Chapnick that reads like a conversation with your best friend and a conversation perhaps with your younger self. 
Set in 1993 Manhattan, the book follows Lucy Adler, a very talented basketball player, the kind with potential. Chapnick worked in sports journalism before becoming a novelist, and her descriptions of basketball are pretty much pure poetry. But what stuck to me most are Lucy's ruminations on life, Manhattan, capitalism, growing up, belonging, boys who never love you like like they should. Specifically, I'm talking about Lucy's best friend and fellow basketball star, Percy. Those descriptions of unrequited but almost requited love really hit home. Much like a Lord album, Lucy's able to both be in the teenage years and be a wry observer of the game that she herself is playing. You say that something you admire in a person is confidence in their opinions, and Lucy is well on her way to having her own. For all this, The Falconer took my breath away when I read it, and it helped me make sense of my own past. While it's about a 17-year-old, it's really a bomb for adults. As I described it to my friends, it's the natural successor to The Catcher in the Rye, and it should be on school curricula for kids to know themselves and for adults to remember themselves. That is The Falconer by Dana Chapnick. Okay, so Elena's second round pick is The Falconer by Dana Chapnick. Okay, Kristen, let us know your second round pick. All right. It can sometimes be hard to truly dive in deep into a book when your attention is constantly divided. The internet always clamors for attention and our inboxes are overcrowded and persistent. That's why I love short story collections that swerve into the realm of the fantastic. Likes by Sarah Swinian Bynum is one of those rare gems that somehow walks the line between reading finely observed literary fiction and sweeping aside woolen coats in your closet to discover Narnia. Her stories always somehow manage to satisfy both urges at once. The first story, The Earl King, is a great example of this. On the surface, a harried mother takes her daughter to a school fair. But through lightning quick shifts in point of view, we find that the daughter is actually being haunted by the Earl King himself, a fairy with a cape in a middle-of-the-night color, who follows her throughout the day. There's a slippery quality to Bynum's work, whether she's writing about TV writers' rooms or from the point of view of a burglar during a B&E. The stories and likes are undeniably transportive and beautiful, strange and familiar. You'll get lost while you're reading them, but you won't be gone for very long. All right, Kristen's second round pick is Likes by Sarah Swanyanbynum. Okay, so I have a strong sense that you might have read my second pick already, but I had to pick it just in case it was one of those books that got added to your towering TBR and never found its way to the top. So the Hugo and Nebula winning This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El Motor mixes the most luscious elements of sci-fi with the tenderest parts of romance. This novella is told in a series of letters back and forth from two rival agents in warring factions, responsible for altering timelines to serve their armies. You say you're not in the mood for something harrowing, but somehow in this novel, the war is the point, but also not the biggest point. Red and Blue's letters start as taunting, but move into respect and then more. Plus, being a novella, especially a novella in letters, the book is propulsive. You need to figure out how each character responds. I can attest that it also makes a beautiful audiobook which if you are pressed for time or juggling parenting chores and trying to pay attention to a book, it's a good choice. Sometimes when a book has so much clout behind it, I get nervous to pick it up when it comes out and I need to save it. So just in case you save this one to read at the right time, consider this the nudge to pick up. This is how you lose the time war or to pick it up again. Okay, so your second round picks are The Falconer by Dana Chapnick, Likes by Sarah Swanyanbynum, or This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El Motor. What is your pick, Jamie? So the th- so Alana was right that I loved the second season. I love basketball. But I think 
a lot of what I loved about the basketball in that book was that it was specifically the NBA. And that's like what I love about basketball. I didn't grow up playing it. I didn't grow up liking it and then just got really into the NBA a few years ago. So I don't think that the younger, it's not, I don't think basketball as a whole is what did it for me. Um, And Rachel's bet paid off. I have not read This Is How You Lose the Time War. It's been on my phone, in my ebooks for a really long time. And I definitely need a nudge to pick it up. And this might be what I need. So that's the one I'm going to pick. Yes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited about that. Okay. So your second round pick is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El Motor. Okay. So where that puts us at the end of the game is that with 20 points for Elena and 20 points for me, we are tied. And so if this were a real dating app situation and you had two people who you were vibing with equally, you would pick the hotter person. So we're going to (laughs) describe the covers of these books to you. And if you have an option to open up a browser window and look at these books while we're we're describing them, that'd be great. And then after we're, we're done describing our beautiful books, you will pick purely based on the cover. I'm going to describe my cover first. So this is for, this is how you lose the time war. Um, And it has both authors' names on the cover. So um, Amal's name is in blue and Max's is in red because those are the two characters, blue and red, that go back and forth in the letters in the book. And then blue and red is also repeated as part of the theme of the the cover. So the back of uh, the cover is a light blue. And then there's these two birds that are slightly pixelated or offset. There's a bluebird and a cardinal, and they're in reverse of each other. And then the font is kind of a basic, almost looks like an aerial, but it's italicized just very simply across the middle. This is how you lose the time war with the two birds sort of mirror images of each other. Okay. Elena, what does your cover look like? So there have been multiple, multiple covers of The Republic of Love because it's an older book. And even though the one that's the most popular is the movie tie-in, I don't believe in movie tie-in covers. So I'm not going to describe that one. I'm going to describe the cover that I read it on when I got it from the library and it was like this tattered book. So it's very old fashioned, but I think it's actually kind of quaint. It says The Republic of Love. Um, The letters are sort of moving around this painting of a mermaid because the main character studies mermaid legends and folklores and there's some good mermaid philosophizing going on in the book and the mermaid is like wrapped up in the waves and she's sort of like her arms are outstretched and the the letters kind of look like the wind i mean that you do not get book covers like this anymore so it's kind of like if you like antique furniture you will like this cover but if you don't you'll find it really just uh, unpleasant and outdated, but I like it. So that's the Republic of Love. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, what's your what's your choice? I cannot imagine not loving this Republic of Love cover. I think it is so beautiful. It the like swoopiness of it reminds me of romance clinch covers, which I also really love. Um, it's just got so. I'm really sorry to this is how you love the time work because I do love the combination of uh, bright red and light blue. So the the cardinal and then the color on the background of that book. It is a really great cover, but the Republic of Love cover is just like absolute like top tier. It's so beautiful and weird. All the sea creatures in the water around the mermaid. She's like this sickly gray, um, and she's got this kind of like the shape of her body is sort of like. Um, like art deco style. It's a little stylized. I'm 
obsessed with this cover. It's so good. So yeah, that's the winner. That's awesome. Okay, so today's bookstore winner is going to be Bliss Books in Kansas City, Missouri. And Jamie, do you have a favorite bookstore that we should shout out this episode? I do. Yeah, it's uh, Greenlight Books in Brooklyn. Fantastic. We are so grateful you joined us today, Jamie. I hope that you really enjoy your books, and you'll have to update us later. Where can we I find totally you? On will. The- yeah. Where can we find you on the internet? Um, so I am on Twitter at Jamie Elise, J-A-I-M-E-A-L-Y-S-E, because my parents decided to spell all my names weird. Um, I'm also on Instagram under the same name. And yeah, that's that's about it. Do you have an official publication date for your book? I do not. It is um, right now, hopefully January or February of 2023, which doesn't seem as impossibly far away as it used to, which is kind of scary. <laughs> we will totally blast about it when that date gets closer. Okay. Um, Elena, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Elena Wonders. Um, you can find me on Instagram at also Elena Wonders or Books and Elena. And I also wanted to plug that I started a tarot newsletter. So if you want to follow my tarot, I did. I'm like such a tarot nerd. So if you go to tellatarotstory.substack.com, what is it called? Substack.com. You yeah. can subscribe and I promise it won't be newsletter spam. I think you'll like it. Wow, and- we have so much to talk about. <laughs> Kristen, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at, at Paper Alphabet, P-A-P-E-R Alphabet on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter as well at R.M. McKenney. I'm also on Instagram at Rachel Mans McKenney. You can find our show online at blinddatewithabookpod.com and at bookmeetcute on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow us and tell us all the books you have fallen in love with recently. Thanks for listening to Blind Date with a Book. Our show is produced and co-hosted by Kristen Evans, Rachel Mans McKenney, and Elena Nicolau. Our showrunner is Rachel Mans McKenney, and our sound editor is Elena Nicolau. Kristen Evans handles web design and newsletter production. Our theme music was written by Alex Bozzi, and our logo was designed by Chelsea Hill. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review Blind Date with a Book on Apple Podcasts. Ratings make it even easier for other listeners to find us and join the fun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest and more books to recommend. Until then, we hope you're falling for the next book on your TBR pile, whatever it might be.